Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Furman 24-17. Robbie, how you feeling? I feel like we uh, took a took a win in a game that uh, most certainly should have been a win, uh, but at various times throughout, I, I never thought we were going to lose. That's probably a weird thing to say because I think most people did. I didn't think it was going to happen, but it was um, it was exciting to say the least. Let's just uh, call it that. Definitely more exciting than it should have been, but not entirely unexpected. If you listen to our last podcast, <laughs> Robbie, why don't you give us a cheers and get us kicked off? So um, I'll do a dual cheers here uh, to our new special assistant, Justin Fuente, coming from Minnesota. Uh, a new member to the Virginia Tech Hokie program. Uh, so always want to welcome uh, new people in with um, with open arms. So excited about that. And I know we're going to talk about it here in a second. So that's one piece. The second is, um, you know, there's there's a little bit of a cloud of the program. It hasn't infected me, but I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit uh, worried about it. What I'm more worried about is our fan base cheering when our quarterback goes down. Uh, that's going to be my cheers uh, this week because um, that needs to get the hell out of the program. Evidently, um, when Willis was uh, a little bit uh, dinged up, it was not loud, that loud, I guess, in the stadium from those that I've seen tweet about it and talk about it. But um, yeah, get get that... Uh, I'll keep it PC for the time being. Get that S out of our program because that's embarrassing. Uh, That's one thing that I don't get too upset about many things involved with Virginia Tech, uh, but I do like to think that we have a a pretty supportive fan base, and you don't have to be happy with the quality that you're seeing on the field. You don't have to stick around for the whole game. Where I draw the line is there, um, that if we have fans that are, are, you know, want Willis out and then are, are cheering because he might get taken out through through injury. I know that's not a positive cheers, but guess what? It's not your podcast, so it's it's ours. And uh, if we have a, a chance to call people out for, you know, maybe they were had a few t- too many beers or, or weren't thinking straight, but that's that's completely not cool. So let's let's straighten up and at least, you know, keep that stuff out of the program if uh, if nothing else. Cheers. Yeah, I would say it's uh, definitely not a good look. I don't know if I'd like to think that, uh, and Andy Bitter alluded to this too, that it was more of a cheer for Hendon Hooker than it was a cheer against Ryan Willis, and that's how I'm I'm hoping to view it. If it if anyone was cheering the injury, then they should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, it was a tough game to watch, and that's what led to some of the the grumbles in the stands and people leaving the game, and maybe even that against Ryan Willis. Uh, but when you get down 14 to three uh, in a game against an FCS opponent, people are going to get pissed off and people got pissed off for sure. Let's hop into the news and notes. You again, referred to this VT hired Jerry kill as a special assistant to the head coach. He was the head coach at Minnesota. Most notably before that he was at Northern Illinois led them to a 10 win season And most recently, he was at Rutgers as the OC before he moved on to the athletic director at Southern Illinois. I think I got all that right. 
but he's a very well-respected coach. And it's an interesting hire for the Hokies at this point in the season to bring on a former kind of big name head coach to not be a head coach and not be anything really tangible, just kind of a a special assistant left a little bit ambiguous. Your thoughts on the hire? At first, I was a little bit confused trying to uh, make heads or tails of it. This was before even the presser had, I think, come out. I think it got announced prior to that, and the press conference was like an hour later. So I started to get more filled in on it. Uh, at first, I, the timing was just really off for me. Um, since then, I've thought more about it, read a lot of you know posts from people, and all of us have collectively you know kind of made heads or tails of what our thoughts are at least uh, on it. And I I feel pretty good about it. Uh, it. It makes a lot of sense if you want a conspiracy theory. It you can take yourself down a lot of rabbit holes, and you know from the. He's gonna he's gonna be the next offensive coordinator to the next defensive coordinator to the next head coach to yeah, but if you just look at it and look at what a lot of programs around the country are doing, where they're bringing in head coaches to help review from a macro level what the game plan is, what they're seeing, what what can be helpful. Uh, you know, David Teal put out a one of his a great articles once again and said, you know, Nick Saban has 12 of these guys, literally 12. That's the number that they have on the staff. You know, we at sometimes clamor rotates in another five or six every year. Yeah. And, and, and we always clamor for more resources for the program. And if, if it wasn't where the program sits right now, all of us, I think collectively would be, like really, really high on what happened in, in, in this hire. It, it, it's the situation around it that I think really makes it it cloudy. I mean, on top of what you said, and I didn't know a lot of this, but Jerry was a two-time coach of the year, once at SIU, once at Northern Illinois, big 10 coach of the year, again, from Teal at uh, Minnesota, brought them to their first New Year's Six Bowl in 50 years uh, at Minnesota, like this guy is extremely well respected, not to mention his ties to Gary Patterson in the past and the relationship between obviously him, Fuente and 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 Jerry. And it seemed like the players really like him. So I gotta be honest, at first I was worried about it. I've opened up a lot more to it just because I d I don't really uh, ascribe to a lot of the conspiracy theories, even if they are things that may transpire down. I don't think those are what intended are intended today, right? They might end up transpiring, but that's I don't think what's intended right now. You said New Year's Six Bowl. Did you mean New Year's Day Bowl? Mm. Yes. <laughs> I know yes. Minnesota was decent under him, but I don't know if they ever got to a New Year's Six. You're 100% right. Okay, good. I thought that's what you meant. And I would agree with you is that at first, I didn't know what to make of it. I was like, is this a desperation move? Is this a PR move? And as I looked into it more, and as I've thought about it over the last 24, 36 hours, it's, this is a good move for us. And it seemed like it was in the works for a little while, the way Fuente talked about it. I think they wanted him on the staff earlier. And whether it was HR or him getting out of his stuff at Southern Illinois, it took a while. So the timing of it and the way the team has played maybe is irrelevant to this move because 
even if we had beaten Boston College and played really well the last two weeks, I still think this would have happened. This isn't like a a save the program, coach kill move. So as I've thought about it, knowing that um, and just what he could bring to the table as let's face it, Fuente's a young guy. He's, he's not all that much older than me and you. And <laughs> that either makes us sound really old or Fuente sound really young, but <laughs> he's only 43 years old, coach Fuente. And to have a guy like Jerry kill, who's a full blown coaching adult, <laughs> another mm-hmm. adult in the room that cannot hurt. Uh, and whether it's culture building, scouting, and what I hope the most, roster management, that is going to be key help for Coach Fuente. And I think he needs the help. I, I mean, obviously, things haven't gone great the last 18 months. I think he needs the help. I think they talk about tech being understaffed. Uh, so this is good, right? Yeah. And another hand on deck. It's hard. And you know, I, I put this out on the key play when I posted earlier. It's it's hard to see your own problems, right? It's because you spend all this time, all of, you know, two, you know, spring practice, fall practice, you know, summer camp, even getting your, you know, everybody just in this mindset of this is what we're going to do this year. And if it's not working and, and what you're putting out there is not working, it's hard to look back and, and think you're wrong. And in, quite frankly, some of the best offensive minds and, and defensive minds they, they can't afford to do that. It's like the CEOs of the world. They just have a different mentality of how they go about things where there's just this confidence in what they do, which makes it extremely difficult to look at what you've been putting on the field or what you're doing and, and say that it's wrong or there's a problem with it. It's a sign of maturity to, to bring somebody in as long as he allows him to speak his mind completely openly and be open with all of the coordinators in the program and let him speak, you know, to what he's seeing on the field and what might be, might be wrong. In my mind, you know, you and I joked around about it. There's potential for positive from this. There's probably potential for nothing, right? There's no advancement in the program. I don't really see the downside other than if you want to use this as an indictment of Fuente um, or Coach Corn, or whatever the case may be, and if you do, so be it. I think it's at least a, a positive move for the program. For now, I think he's going to help Coach Corn uh, specifically in the running game. Uh, Cornelson talked about that today in a press conference that he's they're going to you know hopefully work on that, continue to build the running game, which needs help, and that's good. So why There's don't we move on to the? No, one, go ahead. We're going to have one more point on that, and this is just in case. Hopefully, everybody is aware of his health issues. And what, why he pulled himself, literally in a crying press off press conference away from you know coaching coaching football and being a part of that, uh, is he was very self aware of that he he couldn't do that anymore. But this, if you were ever going to look at a person, and I know he he was an AD. Guess what? That job is not all it's it's made up to be. If you're really into X's and O's football and being part of a program. If you were ever going to look at a person and figure out a role that they could fit into a program to still be tied into it, to the day-to-day operations of the football program without being an AD and at that high level and having to deal with a lot of the nightmares that come with that side of the job and not a lot of the glory and part of being a, you know, a winning team or at least a program that's developing, this is the role that you would want to get into. I, this is the, maybe not at Virginia Tech and maybe that whatever the case may be, but this is a 
perfect role for somebody that is in had you know has had health issues in the past and can't put in a hundred percent but can put in seventy five you know what I mean I hear you I hear you let's move on to the next news and note which is the injuries unfortunately we have to keep talking about it this week we did get Quillen back uh, in the defensive backfield still missing TJ Jackson Zach Hoyt Garbit Hazelton and Holston. Nestor started at right guard and Brian Hudson started at center this time. Just a little update on the injuries there. The next thing I had was the drive for 25. That's coming up at the end of the month, September 25th. And it's not just one day this year. It's actually three days. They talked about it on Tech Talk Live yesterday. They're doing something interesting too. In the tailgating for the Duke game, they're going to have representatives like going out into the tailgates trying to get people signed up. And they're hopeful to get several hundred to maybe even a thousand people signed up for the drive for 25 just in that pregame. I actually think it's a really good idea. So that was um, that was something interesting, I thought. And it's a multiple day event. And this year it won't come directly after a loss to ODU. So that's good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've always I've always said continue to say I'll donate I'll continue donating I know some people don't uh, encourage everybody to it's <laughs> nothing's going to get better with less money um, and you can have the opinion that more money has been spoiled away in some whatever respect if that's your opinion so be it uh, so I would continue to push people to to donate um, it will be a little bit harder this year or, but I think that you know the, I always try and take the macro sense of it, right? What am I going to think about when my daughter is older and she's a Virginia Tech fan? Like establishing the base now is is what it's going to be in the future and things like that. So one year, two years, three years in the grand scheme of what we watch over the Virginia Tech and what I will in my lifetime is a lot bigger than that. And it, it starts, it really starts at the beginning and getting people in and investing in the program. They're hoping to get to 20,000. Obviously drive for 25. If you didn't know was drive for 25,000 Hokie club members. So this year they're hoping to hit the 20,000 mark. I don't, I don't know if they'll get there or not. And I actually don't know what that they're at currently, but that was the, the goal that was put across on tech talk live. So that's, that's good to hear that we're getting up to 20,000. I think when it started or that's the goal anyway, was like what? 10, 11, 12, something like that? There was mixed numbers. Um, I think it was probably around 12. And then you heard numbers getting up to as high as 15 and then settled back into like 13 and a half. 20 would be, I haven't followed it that closely, honestly. And it's been a little while since, you know, we were really focused in on, on that drive for 25. But that would be big jump if they got to 20 that is that's mind-blowing especially with the season this year and last year the other thing that's going to happen that friday night also involves duke and that's henry coleman the basketball recruit is choosing where he's going to play college basketball and if you didn't know he's a big man highly sought after pretty sure he's choosing between duke and virginia tech among many other offers that he has and the announcement's coming Basically an hour before game time, right? Yeah, that is. <laughs> Mike Young is just to be ha- have him choosing between us and Duke in and of itself. Uh, I think I have an idea of where it's probably going to end up going is 
it's pretty mind blowing what he's been able to do. That that guy must be able to work in a living room like nobody's business because he has gotten people fired up about this program and ready to commit. That I I, I don't nobody nobody saw this coming in the way that he's been able to recruit this 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 quickly and this you know even if this doesn't go our way it's been pretty incredible yeah his tweet says he's announcing at 3 30 eastern that day on friday the 27th so stay tuned Hokies. maybe maybe we'll pull off the upset here Last note I had was our pick 'em. there was only one person this week that was able to reach 11 correct picks and that was tyler bowdoin i'm probably saying that wrong but it's bowdoin i believe Congrats, Tyler. Nice job. I think Sam B is in first place overall. A number of you didn't get your picks in. For shame. (laughs) Maybe even someone on this podcast. Is this a here? Uh, Yeah, I thought I put them in Friday night. I had a heavily real gambling weekend uh, with a bunch of friends, and we were scouting lines on all the Friday night games. I bet all three Friday night games, live betting, real betting, and then uh, got prepared for Saturday. And honestly, I thought I submitted and I didn't. And I'm a moron. My it, basically, I set this up, and I'm I'm one. You of the put first. in all the lines. Like you have to physically put in all the lines. I, so you did that. I manually enter in all 15 lines, like I'll do tonight. And tonight, I'm picking every game. And then I'll change my picks before before you know games games uh games start. It that's pretty embarrassing, and I feel bad. It's all good. It's all good. Like I said, a number of other people forgot too, and that's okay. It's fun just to recognize people if they have a good week. So you don't have to play every week, but if you do play every week and you win, like you like Robbie explained, you will get a white claw in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's the ongoing joke. Let's hop into this game recap against Furman. I don't necessarily really want to go through it all again, but that's what we do on this podcast. We're going to be recapping Furman tonight, and then next week we'll be previewing Duke. Obviously, we have a bye coming up, so you're only getting the Furman recap tonight, and then a little bit of an overall thought, and then our picks. We scored first on a 35-yard field goal and then went cold for a long portion of the game. We turned the ball over twice, each time leading to a Furman touchdown, and entered halftime down 14-3. to We got it going in the third quarter, fortunately. Keyshawn King helped engineer a six-play, 83-yard drive that led to a one-yard touchdown run by Mitchell. On the first play of Furman's ensuing drive, Dax forced a fumble. Uh, he really used his head on that one because I think the helmet slammed directly into the football, and Deshaun Crawford came up with it. We went 26 yards in four plays and scored on the fade to Trey Turner, his first TD of the season. And just like that, we were winning uh, quickly into the third quarter. Trey wasn't done yet. Later in the fourth quarter, after an awesome Caleb Farley interception, we scored the final TD of the day on a 29-yard run by Trey. We ran the sweep to the boundary side, and Trey managed to stay inbounds on his way to pay dirt. Furman had one last gasp nearly scoring a touchdown if it weren't for a saving tackle by Waller, but settling for a field goal to make it 24-17. to Then Furman seemingly recovered an onside kick, but the call was overturned due to an illegal block call. Tech was able to run the clock out and hold on 24-17. to What a game, Robbie. What a game. What an onside kick that was. (laughs) It was a wacky onside kick that worked out wonderfully for Furman 
initially. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, we won't spend too much time on that. People have, have vented enough against the Virginia Tech and for Furman, and then getting that. I guess it's a new rule that it, I haven't looked into it. I tried to look it up online and then eventually just started, you know, getting into the depths of onside kicking and, you know, lost my lost my path to figure out what the actual call was. I just saw it was a new rule. But I kind of want to just go through. Uh, do you want to start with some of the positives of the game or the negatives of the of the game? That's how I broke it out. I had to in this one. Sure, let we can do that. Why don't I just give you what I think is my story of the game? Okay, this is this is uh, maybe we can start from here, and I think it was the the poor play of the offense was was a major story, but the second half comeback sparked by the running game, I think, kind of finishes that story. And I, I don't know if that helps you I build think, your. I think your that's take. a good a good thesis. I think the um the the the. The struggles of the offense while showing sparks of stuff that we haven't seen in a while it is something that made me walk away a little bit more confident. And obviously that's king. And, you know, everybody knows, you know, that piece of it. And then the second half, you know, we we talked about this after the game. They could have mailed it in, but they didn't. And, you know, that that could have just been nightmares of ODU and everything that's bad. And, you know, for VT in just they could have mailed it in. They didn't. So that was that. I think your story is, is spot on for for the context of the overall game. And we would have liked to see a lot more, a lot more points, if nothing else. Yeah, and I think you you make a great point with the guys not quitting as a as a follow up to that story because it's so so true, and we've seen three games in a row now, not against the most quality competition, but three games in a row where we got popped in the mouth, uh, at least for a, a portion of the game, and we showed resilience and rallied, and so that's encouraging. As for what was discouraging, that would be the offense, as as I kind of talked about. For at least the first half, uh, only 127 yards in the first half. The the turnovers yet again. They strike again, and the the real bitch of these turnovers is that the opposing team scores right after them. <laughs> yeah, they're the most damaging form of turnover. Turnover. You you always hear it's like, well, they turned the ball over, but it didn't lead to points. So you know it's bad, but it's not. No, ours always seem to be reckless, abandoned turnovers. Yeah, and the thing that's troubling about the offense and not just the turnovers was that the poor offensive performance came against a team that got absolutely torched by Georgia State a week ago. You know, 560 yards, 48 points, and we can only manage 350 yards and 123 through the air. That's not right, man. (laughs) That's just not right. Yeah, I I think it, you know, on that front, it really starts – with the game calling in some respects. If you start out from the, the, the beginning of the game, I went through all the stats and I noticed it as it was happening. I think you said you did too, but I, I went through the first 12 plays because I do all the passing stats for the website and two passes were beyond the line of scrimmage. We literally flipped the script by... On average, I think it's seven and a half yards in terms of passing distance. Like, you know, what where where Willis is or where the line of scrimmage is to where we're actually passing to. 
there was a seven and a half yard difference between the average of the first two games to the third game. We just completely changed the whole script and it works sometimes. I, I won't say that some of those screen plays didn't work. I won't say that, you know, some of this, you know, some of those plays actually were good, but it just looked so different that I have, we talk about not having a real thesis for what this team is and a narrative for what they're trying to do. And it couldn't have been more true in this game where I, I, it looked like I was watching a different team. If you just threw different jerseys and helmets on them, then I would have been like, oh yeah, this is somebody different. It's not, it's not Virginia Tech on, on offense, at least from the passing standpoint. Yeah, it was 2018 Duke offense where all they did was dink and dunk with Daniel Jones and he had like five point something yards per attempt. That's what Willis had in this game, 5.86 yards per attempt. That's pathetic. The longest pass of the game for Virginia Tech came one minute in on the play that Caleb Smith made where he he ran after the catch, basically. It was, that wasn't even a long pass, but it was our longest pass of the game. It was 22 yards. It was the only pass that went over 20 yards. Almost all underneath throws, very weird. I, Willis's percentage was great, 17 of 21, but the rating was still no good because he threw an interception on a sailed ball and none of them went for any yardage. Yeah, and that sailed ball, that one irked me because I, I get it. If QBs are going to make mistakes. Grimsley was wide open on that and he overthrew him by a lot. And it's a it's a lesson for for Grimsley as well. That same type of pass that was it wasn't an overthrow for the touchdown in the other game that he tipped up to himself in this yeah, game. Similar, similar. Yeah. He tipped it up and what it, it shows what can happen. Cause that was just a sailed ball that just would have gone out of bounds. And I'm not blaming it on him. It was an overthrow because he didn't have anybody within 15 yards uh, of him. That was so frustrating. Just the way that that played out and that he was wide open, but there's something to be said. If you're not throwing deep passes, and then all of a sudden you get, it's like, hey, you're going to throw this one deep. You're not in your rhythm. You're not in your flow. You know, you've been thrown dink and dunk since the beginning of the game. And now it's something a little bit new. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't help this kind of short, 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 45-yard bomb, 30-yard bomb. That that seems to be the MO of this, of this offense and what they're trying to do at times. And I don't necessarily agree with it. I like more slant routes in the center, even if they're passes that, you know, may not be that successful, at least you're getting your QB and your wide receivers in tune to different distances on passes rather than just like, yeah, here we go. We're going to pass another screen, another screen, screen. And then all of a sudden you have to go deep. It's, it's kind of frustrating from a play calling standpoint. And it's a little bit frustrating from, from obviously very frustrating from watching Willis. Yeah. And another one of the more troubling things in this game was the pressure Furman was getting on Willis. They had four sacks. Not all of them were because of offensive line play. Some of them definitely were. Silas Zansi had a really rough game uh, from, from a penalty perspective, from a protecting the quarterback perspective, and he got taken out for Luke Tenuta again in this game, and Tenuta was much better than him. And we'll probably, honestly, we'll probably end up starting the next game. I, I would find it hard to believe if San, if... Janzy, I keep screwing that up. Doesn't does start the next game, and I said this on Twitter earlier. I think that he's just not in very good shape 
right now. I, I don't, I mean, Fuente alluded to it in the press conference. He said he tires quickly and has had cramping issues. And that means you're not in shape. So, and, and he kind of looks it. So I'm glad we have Tenuta because he's a pretty good player for a redshirt freshman. And he'll, he'll probably be playing a lot as the season goes on. But the pressure again, not great. Some of them were on Willis. So like he needs to know where it's coming from. And we've complimented his pocket presence this year, but four sacks is a lot when you're playing Furman. Yeah, that's an awful. And especially when I think two of those had two on unblocked people coming through the line, ready to take your head off. And, you know, he has, he has everything that you would think kind of a mediocre team has, which is the inability to, or I guess the, the, you just start seeing ghosts, right? Like you're not comfortable. You're not stepping up in the prior two games. He was stepping up into the pocket. He was, he was ready to, you know, get a throw off. And this one, they had him pulling back into deep shotguns and it, it just looked off. He scrambled. He didn't scramble and throw a pass out of the pocket in the first two games. I think he had four or five in this game. Everything looked different. And maybe that was because the first two games didn't go well. So they kind of threw the game plan out and they were restarting. Okay. But it it didn't look like the same offensive team that we saw before. Now, when we get to, you know, positives and things like that, that will also ring true for King and the running game. Yeah. Let's, let's move to that. Uh, And and I, I would totally agree. The run game was obviously better and was a major positive in the second half. Absolutely. I mean, you had King, I wrote it down, everything that I saw from him, I tried to articulate in just a few words, his vision, we've all talked about his kind of shiftiness, the ability to move laterally, and then still keep speed upfield. Um, and then just, just a willingness. And I don't want to say, I don't want to put it in the bad terms of throw his body out there, but the willingness to take a bounce off an offensive lineman, bounce off of somebody else, make somebody miss a tackle and just go for those extra yards. And some of those were a lot of yards. I mean, he broke three tackles and got 20 extra yards on that one long run. Um, the guy is, um, he's a superstar in the making. I wish he had like 25 more pounds on him because every time he gets hit, I, I, I get scared that he's going to have to go out of the game, but he, he hasn't yet. He got a little dinged up twice in this game and he looks phenomenal. Yeah, he looks great. Uh, as a team, we ran for 5.3 yards per carry. He had 9.9. <laughs> and if it wasn't for getting a little nicked up and <laughs> I, again, he got, I told you in the last podcast, he got pummeled in the ODU game. There was a play in this game where it looked like his knee went fully sideways and he came in and ran after that. So he is taking a little bit of a beating, but let's face it. He is one of our best weapons, if not the best weapon on the team right now. So you got to run him. And it was fun to watch, especially that really long run. I think it was over 50 yards, kind of breaking tackles, coming back across the field was Amazing. I mean, King looks absolutely amazing. Uh, Trey Turner also ran. Tavion Robinson also ran both long runs. Mitchell ran the ball as well into the end zone. So I think what we're seeing here is we're starting to just get our best players and best playmakers the ball in the run game. We're, you know, screw if you're a running back or not. If you can run it and you're athletic and you can make a move, like you're going to get the ball in the run game. That, 
that is exactly my thought on it. It's so true because at, at some point, if you, we, there has been all this talk about people that can make hats miss and you can make hats miss or you can punish hats and, you know, kind of blow through them. And we had four people taking the ball that managed to do that. And, and honestly, you know, French pointed out in, in one of his things about the blocking that um, McLeese did for the Mitchell run, but Mitchell's a big dude and giving him the ball. That was, that was really cool to see for that touchdown run and, you know, just powered through it. At some point you just got to give the, the best people on your team, the ball, if you want to establish the run game, because it's not that cohesive right now for us. It's not that pretty. It's not that much power on the offensive line. We don't have that great of blocking on the perimeter. We're kind of cobbling together whatever we can, which is not a good thing to say about this program, but that's where we're at. But you see the best schools do this too. Curtis Samuel at Ohio State, Kelvin Harmon at NC State, guys who are more receivers and, and lighter in weight, but can run the ball when they and make people miss. So they get them the ball. Uh, and even as far back as Percy Harvin for Florida, like that's what you do with that kind of guy, regardless of size, regardless of position. So our coaches are doing that too. And we need it. We really needed it. And it worked out great in this one. Turner had two touchdowns, one receiving and one rushing 97 total yards. Another four catches for Tavion in this one. He's Still leading the team in catches. Was there anything else of note on the offense you wanted to mention before we moved to defense? To your point, Trey Turner's catch in the end zone, I thought that was quintessential what we've been doing when we actually put these together games together and we actually get them is jump balls basically for our athletic wide receivers and have them go up and, and, and get them. And I thought that was an extremely uh, nice catch. That was probably it for the, the offensive side for me. All right, then let's uh, take a beer break real quick before we move to the defense. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking the prerequisite double IPA um, brewed by Barreled Souls in Soco, Maine. So we're going way up north. We're heading to Canada almost uh, on this one. And there was a f- there was a four can limit on this beer when I went to Norm's beer and wine today and I didn't know why, but anytime they're putting like a can limit on it, I'm just going to go for it because I just inherently think it's going to be a rare beer. So I I might as well just grab one. And there was one four pack left. So I I grabbed it. It's a really good double IPA. Never even heard of this brewery, but it's, it's really good. Um, I would say it's probably better than, most of the last double IPAs that I've had on on the podcast, the flavors, not anything exceptional, but it's, um, I, I don't know. There's something about it that I, I really like. I would not give this like a super high rating, but I would put it like a, you know, 4.25 on, which is pretty decent on our, our rating system on Beer Advocate. So, or not Beer Advocate on um, Untapped. And I like it a lot. It sounds good, man. 4.25 is, that's a pretty good rating. I'm drinking the Golden Road Brewing Wolf Puff Session IPA. This is a fairly popular beer, at least in the summer, I feel like it's been. I see it in almost every store. Golden Road, they have the mango cart and the pineapple cart, but this is, this is similar to the Hazy Little Thing by Sierra Nevada, but lighter than that. 
because I think it's this is four and a half percent. So it's definitely a session, maybe even on the lighter side of even session IPAs. But it's tasty. And like I said, I compare it to the hazy and the hazy little thing because they kind of have a similar taste. But you can take down like way more of these, in my opinion. And uh, since I was in Dewey this past weekend, as you saw on our Instagram feed, if you if you're following us there, uh, I had a bunch of these just pre gaming and going out, and that's what you're looking for when you you're trying to last all day. Is you know those four and a half five percenters. Hazy little thing is good as well. I, I I'm I'm more and more impressed with that beer that they they came out with something that was. Um, more with the trend and less with just kind of their mainstream product. So if it's anything like that, I think that's probably a good beer. Yeah, the Wolf Pup Session IPA. It's a sixer, or in in this case, I bought a 15-pack when I was heading down the beach, so had a bunch of them. Let's move over to defense. I would say the defense, despite giving up the touchdowns on the turnovers, they were pretty outstanding most of the day. And yes, it was an FCS team and they scored 17 points on us. But I thought for sure Furman was going to get to 300 yards. I thought 20 points was going to be almost a given for them. And they didn't really come very close to that. So I was impressed with the defense. Uh, what were your thoughts? I, I did. I thought um, I thought the tackling looked better, obviously, that most anything would look at it better than the game prior. So I thought that that looked better. The contain that we have at times is just, there's just still miscommunication. And, and you know, it's, I think it's going to develop over time. We have the talent for it to be in check, but there, there's still these plays that are um, the touchdown run, where I can't remember who was out of position and it looked like Ashby was going to get the sack and all of a sudden it, you know, it goes for whatever, 20 yards for a touchdown that it's just, it's just smarter football. That's getting, you know, frustrating to, to watch. And I'm not frustrated with the players. I know they're developing, but the tackling looked better, which made me feel really good. The secondary did a, a great job. And in, in, in my mind, for the most part, you know, there were some breakdowns here and there, but we finally got an interception. We can start building some confidence off of that. I think we held them to 63 yards, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, uh, through the air. So that that's a big move for us. That gives a lot of confidence to the team. Um, I thought, uh, you know, Eli Adams looked really good. He was uh, part of the press conference. They brought him out there to, to talk about his day. He joked around that he hasn't showed up on film reviews as somebody that had a breakdown yet, which I thought that was kind of funny, but also really interesting in, in, in his development. So uh, I would agree with you. I thought for the most part, they got put in tough situations by the offense again a couple times. Um, that's got to be getting frustrating, but they seem to be developing. They're becoming more, more cohesive. Dak still had 10 tackles in this game and we know he's a little bit prone to some breakdowns here and there or not seeing things the right way or whatever the case may be, but I thought it was good. Yeah. And after they gave up those two touchdowns, they didn't let Furman score for the next 30 minutes. And at the end of the game, I said it earlier, they had a chance for a touchdown. And again, we saw our guys not giving up on the play. Waller chased the guy down, saved 
it from being a touchdown. We held them to a field goal. We saw Reggie Floyd do that against Pitt. We saw Watts do it in a game last year. So that fight and that you know pursuit is still there for this defense. There were mistakes, no doubt about it, but four sacks, six tackles for loss, only 231 yards given up. This was a nice performance. And I'd say the breakout player on defense was Chamari Connor. We knew that this was a guy that can break out this year, and he kind of had a coming out party in the sense of seven solo tackles, a lot of nice open field tackles, eight total, and he got a sack. You mentioned Dax, and Dax does have some mistakes. He did force the fumble, though, and that was because he's always showing up. He doesn't have a lot of solo tackles all the time, but he always like is getting there. And when you get there after the fact, you can force a fumble. You know, there, there's, there's, that's why you pursue. And even if a guy's already around the waist of a guy. So the last thing I had that was really good was the defensive ends. And you mentioned Adams, but even Belmar, they both had seven tackles and Crawford got his first sack. The D line controlled the line of scrimmage. Hewitt might've not had his best game, but again, we see that D line solidifying, you know, going straight across the field. They're not necessarily getting tons of pressure, but they're containing, and they, they in this game in particular, they control the line of scrimmage. So let's hope that continues throughout the season because we were concerned about the D-line for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And Connor, you're 100% right, looked, he looked fantastic. He's developing, you know, really, really quickly and um, seems like one of the, you know, just always puts himself in the right place. His physical hits hard, wraps quickly, gets people down. Uh, Dax has a motor. He doesn't turn it off. I mean, if you're going to say anything about that guy, it's he doesn't doesn't give up on plays. And there's a lot to be said for that. And the defense in general showed a lot of energy. In, in your third game against an FCS opponent, when you have been down in the first half, that's tough for a while. And and when some of those mistakes are on the offense, they could have easily just, you know, started to take their, their foot off the, off the pedal. I don't think they did. And I think that shows a lot of resolve and confidence in this team and, and what they can become, maybe not even what they are today, but there's about four or five people on this defense, uh, that could be like really, really good for Virginia Tech, and and that's not to speak ill of anybody else out there, but uh, you know, some when you look at Ashby, you look at Connor, Dax when he starts to develop more and just understand a little bit more of the game more and 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 not make so many decisions. You talk to Belmar, there are some really, really talented players on this defense that are starting to show their stripes and what they can achieve uh, within the Virginia Tech program. And I think that's an exciting thing amidst the fact that we had to play an FCS opponent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to move to our overall thoughts? Yeah, I got, I got some stuff, but why don't you kick it off and then I'll go. Sure. What we want to see is the team win and they won the game, but the eye opening part of it was that this offense is just not what we thought. We thought it was going to be significantly better coming into this year. We have the injuries up front. We have the injury to Hazleton. <clears throat> but it's still not a, an excuse for, for what we've seen. The defense, on the other hand, has improved, I think, every game. Uh, I thought this was definitely their best game against maybe the best offense we faced. I, I know 
BC's probably better. They're probably better. But that BC team is is looking bad right now. <laughs> we we just saw what Kansas did to them, and um, mainly to the BC defense. But nevertheless, this Furman offense was no joke, and this defense came to play. This was always going to be a team that improved a lot over the year, and that's great when your starting point is where I thought it was going to be. That, But that's the issue is the starting point for this team was just far lower than I thought we would be. But we are seeing imp- little improvements every game. Overall, it's kind of just like an incremental improvement as a team. But we are seeing every little part of the team kind of improve here and there. I so, think that's a – well, I'll, I'll kick it off with that. I, you know, Dax came out in the presser and he said he wasn't – he doesn't know when a win, you know, all of a sudden just became a loss, right? And like, and I get that mentality. It's like we pulled the game out, we won the game, and he feels like the negativity of the program, or you know, whether it's fans leaving or if people were chirping, whatever the case may be, you know, it started to feel like it it, it was a loss. And I, I get that. That's a little unfair to the fan base, just as much as it is as the un- fan base is unfair to the team, and it kind of goes both ways, right? It, it is an FCS team. You guys are extremely talented. We should be playing better than this. And then, in my mind, that comes back to also coaching as well. I think the the team has been has changed in almost you know two of the, at least one of the three weeks that we've seen. So. We had 21 passes this game, a lot more on the run. I think that was actually a really positive move. I think it was a struggle, but um, King, Mitchell, Turner, the run game actually showed a lot of improvement. And if you were going to try and do that, this was the game to do it. You you skated pretty on thin ice, I guess, to to do it. But if you're going to put it out there, than it is. There was 47 passes in um, the first game, 28 in the second game. The average attempt distance, as I mentioned before, was 10.5 in BC, 11.5 in ODU, 4.5 against uh, Furman. That is dramatic in terms of what you're trying to do and the plays that you're trying to. Willis didn't complete a pass longer than 19 yards in the whole game, which is pretty unbelievable. The prior two games... He was 55% and 40% completion ratio at that distance on eight passes. So call it four game. It was six and two split on on those. So that that doesn't really make that much sense. And maybe we overlooked, um, you know, what Furman's defensive backs were, but I don't really think that we did. Um, and Robinson, he's got 18 passes this year. 40, 14 of those have been catches for 78% completion percentage. Pass it to Robinson. That guy is, he's a, a stud in developing. So um, I, I don't know that my thoughts are much different than yours. I think the the bar that we started at was lower than we expected, and it's gotten better each week. And I know we're probably going to get, you know, pooped on by a lot of people saying, well, that was an FCS team. But when you look at what they're doing on the field, and if you go back and watch the games prior, you can see development there. And you can see, like, not a ton. This isn't mind-blowing. But the bar started lower, like you said, than we originally anticipated. And that's put us where we at now. If we beat BC and that was the bar, we would have gotten, you know, 
to, to a better level going into this bye week than we would have expected. Yeah, and if you just look at the spreads, <laughs> the way we performed against the spread in ODU was the same way we performed against the spread in Furman. And I, I do believe Furman to be a better team. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. They're a better team than ODU, and, and maybe significantly so. So I, <laughs> I, uh, it's not a good look, and it's and just because they're a division down in football just doesn't mean they can't play. So <clears throat> I am ecstatic we came away with the win because uh, I told Robbie, I told other people personally, like I was very scared we were going to lose. And at halftime, my fears were being realized. <laughs> so um, pulling off the win, fighting to the end, rallying, there are positive things to take from this. The, the downside is we didn't play three very good teams throughout the season, uh, none of which have a good defense. And that's that's going to play itself out throughout the year. We'll find that out. We just found it out against BC. I think the more Furman plays, you'll see teams be able to move the ball on them. <clears throat> that's concerning because Duke and Miami, they're a significant, significant step up in defensive play just in S&P alone. I mean, BC and ODU are 101 and 102 in defensive SP+. So that that sucks. Duke's 54. And I know it's early for SP plus, but it gives you an idea of the gap we're about to see in quality of defense. And we have yet to score what more than 31 points in a game. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, especially against Miami, who, you know, if nothing else plays good defense. Yeah. And I think the best we can say is we just have to hope, all of us hope, and hopefully everybody that's listening to this is a VT fan, that this is a team that plays up to their level and down to their level. There's there's other teams that do that. Their name Michigan State, their name, you know, those teams out there that play, even, even Pitt does that, which they just did against Penn State. Um, let's just hope that this is a team that plays up to the level of competition um, and down to the level of competition. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that that's the best outcome for, for us as we stand today. Yeah, man. I did want to bring up a couple random things just after the game stat wise and stuff. Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson are tied for third in the ACC in yards per touch at 11.8. That is pretty freaking cool for two young kids on our team. VT is 16th in the country in third down conversion rate at 52%. That is a credit to Ryan Wills because that third down stuff and the ones that we've had with so many being long, uh, we're passing for a lot of those. Willis is 18 of 27 on third down, 163 passer rating, no interceptions on third down, and he's 12 of 18, again, a 66.67% completion rate with third and eight plus. So even when it's long, he's completing two-thirds of his passes. Last year on third down, he was 120 QB passer rating. So there's improvement on third down from Willis, and at least that's encouraging. He hasn't been great on first and second down, um, but on third down, he is performing pretty darn well, and the team is performing pretty darn well as well. Uh, Obviously, we're terrible in turnover margin. 124th in the country right now, worst among the Power 5 schools. 88th in yards per play, uh, not good either. And I also wanted to bring up the crowd at the game, and specifically at halftime, 
and just the announced attendance, it wasn't, it's not what you want to see. And it's unfortunate because we've had bad offenses for a long time and we've obviously been able to bring the heat on special teams and defense. And that's what Virginia Tech done. It it was able to keep people engaged, but now we're, we've lost the Beamer ball luster. We still now don't have the offensive luster against an FCS team where you're down 11 at halftime and our seats were starting to look like something you'd see at Chapel Hill or something. And it was, it was, it's sad. It's, it's sad and it's alarming. Yeah, it definitely is. And yeah, it, the, it needs to start with the product on the field. Like it, it's fine to like Nebraska, right? There are hun- however many games in years and years and years of sellouts. There's certain programs that are, are good with that, but Nebraska also has how many national championships under their belt? I, I'm, I'm guessing it's, you know, a few uh, at least. And, you know, there's just certain programs that have an institution to them. And we, we don't, we're relatively, we, we have, we do have it. And people have been loyal. Let's, let's be honest. If this was any other team on the East coast, a lot of the Northeast schools, they wouldn't be drawing 52,000 people to the game, which was the announced attendance, by the way. The only reason we had 52,000 people there is because tech fans are as loyal as they are. No, that's not as much what I said is that we don't have like, we don't have, when you look at college football as a whole, we don't have the hundred years of like families showing up to games. We have the 20 that's years, true. right? That's what I meant is there's only so much bend and how much, you know, there's that you can put on the fan base to get them to show up. And right now it's, it's been a struggle. And it it's tough. I, I don't like it. I mean, I, I have season tickets. I want people to, to be going the games. I can't go. I want to be able to sell my tickets to people that want to go. You know, I want it too, but you, you can't just point at the fans. You also got to point at the field. It goes both ways. And sometimes you have to point at the coaches and it, it, it cuts both ways. You can't just, I don't like the blind. Hey, you should just show up for every game and never leave. And, when it's like, well, you know, you should show up for every game and not lose to ODU, like you did. Like the time, there's times to own what it is. Like if you're a good mm-hmm. team and you got people leaving because they don't want to watch you finish a game, like the fan base needs to own that. That's BS. Like stick around, watch your team finish a, a game that they're winning and they're doing well in. And similarly, if if it's not that good on the field, you also got to own that too. It goes both ways. It's a reciprocal right. I mean, relationship. Fans can leave if they want to leave, you know, and that's, and trust me, if I was there, I might've wanted to leave too. I, um, we famously left the Belk bowl at halftime. And I mean, we, we've been there. People get, you get mad and you, and you're frustrated. And we went to Hooters and we watched the greatest comeback in tech history. Um, Over this shots. is not the greatest yeah. comeback in tech history, but, um, hopefully the people that left, you know, maybe felt a little bit bad about leaving because the team did show up and come back and win the game. Um, the 52,314 people, that was the announced attendance. That was the lowest September attendance since Lane expanded in 2002. So <laughs> uh, even in 2001, before Lane had expanded, we had better attendance than what we had on uh, Saturday. So <clears throat> people are fed up and, and you can just, that, that's, a, I mean, that's almost 20 years 
of September football games against a lot of bad teams in some not-so-good seasons. And this was the lowest that showed up. That's what that's where we are right now. I mean, that's that just kind of I don't that's kind of those are we've just, presented those comments are just facts. But, I mean, it's yeah, just that's a, just a fact. Point. Like, take it, take I, I, from, I, take from that what you you will. You can almost just leave it at it's like you know it's pretty pretty obvious. It's 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 challenging right now, and it's everything is a staged you know a stage improvement, right? Like if the coaches can be better, the players will be better. The players can be better. The fans will be better. And if the fans are better, then the players will be it, like it's a it's a relationship that is very much related on each other. And that's how it's always been. That said, getting fifty two thousand people to show up for a Furman game that we almost lost is not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's maybe this the the most uh, troubling thing to come out of your mouth so far, right? <laughs> like is like, man, fifty-two thousand. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised it wasn't under fifty, <laughs> and definitely after halftime, it was far under fifty. <laughs> do you want to do another beer break, or do you just want to hop right into these picks? Um, I have actually have a good beer, so let's let's do a beer break. All right, cool. All right, Pete, what are uh, what are you drinking your woes away with? Well, I got another maroon and orange label over here i'm drinking the breckenridge autumn ale if you can take a look at that i'm showing robbie on the skype it is a brown ale brewed with munich malts and bavarian hops so it's dark i I actually expected it to be kind of amber in color but it's basically jet black it's tasty as shit I'll, i'll say that right now it is unexpected and and definitely different compared to a session ipa that i was just drinking and i'm going literally from summer to fall right now in my mouth hole. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, this autumn ale is good. And again, Breckenridge, I think I had them maybe two podcasts ago yep. and I don't normally bring on a brewery like that quickly, but this beer just looks so good that I went for it. And I'm impressed again with Breckenridge. Uh, very, very good autumn ale. I would recommend it. Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, on my second four pack of the week of this beer because I got the first one as like a, like kind of a special treat to myself. And then I found it again, um, before the podcast, this thing's intense, but it's delicious. It's the founders underground mountain Brown. We're, we're to all those out there. We're shifting our ways away from all the IPA slowly. Well, we're getting there pretty quickly. It's an Imperial Brown Ale brewed with Sumatra coffee aged in bourbon barrels. It's a Founders Ooh. Brewing beer. It's a hefty 11.9%. So um, this is not your mom's beer uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think my mom could maybe have one of these and then she'd be toast. It's it's intense. It's also delicious. It is a really good beer. That sounds like one of those beers where the first sip is like, whoa. And then after that, you kind of ease into it, but it definitely has that, that ass to it. Yeah. It's got that in the, the, it's got that coffee backbone, which always, I find, you know, compliments so well to the bourbon barrel because I, I like bourbon I'll drink bourbon, but it's always a little too much for my taste buds. And the coffee really like mellows that down a lot for me. So anytime that I can get like a bourbon barrel with like coffee in it, those two just go together so well. 
I love this beer. It's it's delicious. It's very intense. Yeah. Don't. Say the name again for me. It's the Underground Mountain Brown. It, by Founders. By Founders. So. Not that awesome, not man. that sounds, founders sounds great. Yeah, not that founders that obscure. They they do a lot of these bourbon barrels. They do a lot of dark beers, expensive four packs. This was sixteen bucks, I think it was. Maybe maybe I have that off, but it's not as bad as some of their other um, beers that are KBS. Yeah, and- those are those get through the roof. This is um, priced a little bit better, if I remember correctly from from the beer store. But I I do really like it. It is it's. It's dark though, to your point. So you got to be ready to, you know, have something that's. You're not. You're not playing cornhole in ninety degree weather with this beer. <laughs> I got you, man. Well, we got some nice games to pick uh, from our pick'em this week. We're gonna pick six games on the podcast, and this first one is is fun. Michigan going to Camp Randall, number eleven. Michigan playing number thirteen. Wisconsin. And based on how they've played so far, it's not shocking to see Wisconsin as a three and a half point favorite. Who you got in this one, Robbie? This one was tough because it's got the feeling of a Michigan bounce back because they've been getting, you know, well, other than Virginia Tech, they've been getting thrashed in the national media just basically across the country. And here we go again. Here's Michigan touted as a great team. Shea Patterson's not as good as he used to be. Uh, or as everybody thought he would be. Wisconsin's run offense, it's a typical Wisconsin team. They're putting up mad points, great defense, big bodies on the offensive line. I'm going to go... I'm going to I'm going to hate this pick afterwards, but I'm going to go Wisconsin. I they've just they've shown a lot and I'm going to bite on the narrative that's going to end up backfiring that Michigan's not that good because they will get their stuff together. It just hasn't happened early on. And I think it's going to be a couple more games before it really turns the corner for them. I'm taking Wisconsin. I think it's an easy pick. Just think about the Army game. And I know Army kind of, I don't know how they could, but they kind of sneak up on teams because they're a service academy. But after Oklahoma and after Michigan, you know, you have to see what they did to those teams. And the running game, what does Wisconsin do? They run the ball. Army plays pretty solid defense. Wisconsin has not given up a point this year. So I like Wisconsin, and I like them quite a bit. Now, they played South Florida, who sucks and is going to continue to suck, and they played Central Michigan, which I'm not sure how much Central Michigan sucks, but anytime you give up zero points, that should be commended, and uh, Wisconsin, I think, could win by double digits or more in this game. Yep, I agree. Next game, UCF at Pitt. A strange matchup. Number 15 UCF is going to Pittsburgh. Was this the game that we didn't get to see last year because of the hurricane? I think it was. It was because this was, I think it was going to be Pitt at UCF down in in Florida. Right, right. I'll look that up while you give me your pick. I'm going to go. So Pitt just came off of, I hate the whole, you know, a good loss, but you know, Penn State was looking pretty decent. I mean, they put up some decent points, and Pitt did what they usually do and um, held it to a touchdown game. I think it was 17-10 in that game. I'm going to go UCF here because of one reason. UCF attempted to schedule and has attempted to schedule tougher to 
and I know they're completely annoying and at this point about the national championship and all of that, but they had a Stanford game. They just blew out Stanford. No problem. That game was easy. This is really their last time to shine with regard to out of conference to show that they're a legit program. And I know it's Pitt, so that's only saying so much, but they can only play the schedule and who's really ready to take them on. So I, I think they're going to try to make this a statement game because it's really their last chance if they are as good as they have been in past years and are going to run the table. This is their last chance of kind of getting their name back into the playoff situation. They did play last year. I was mistaken. It wasn't canceled. Pitt lost 14 to 45. Huh, well, there you go. <laughs> so, it was a no so, game anyway. I'm taking UCF. I took them last week to cover the spread against Stanford. I took them the week before to cover the spread against FAU, and they killed both of those teams. I don't know if they'll kill Pitt because I thought Penn State would, and they didn't, and Pitt's pass rush actually looked pretty good against Penn State. I still think UCF is – they're locked in right now. So I think they're going to make the road trip up to Pittsburgh and win. Next game, Auburn at Texas A&M. This is an awesome game too. Number eight, Auburn going to – College Station, number 17, Texas A&M, is a four-point favorite. I'll go first this time. Yep. I'll take Texas A&M. I, I, like, I just like them. I think they're a tough team. I don't completely believe in Auburn. That was reflected when I picked Oregon earlier in the year to beat them and cover the spread. Didn't happen, but they kind of showed me what I thought would happen. So I'm going to go with Texas A&M to cover the four and win at home. What do you got, Rob? Well, Auburn easily could have won that game, just so we're clear. I mean, that was that was down to the final final you mean or, against Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a pretty yeah. that was a good good game. Um, I like this matchup. I think this is going to show a lot about both teams. So I'm going Auburn. Um, I don't like it. it. Feels it's like a bad taste, kind of, uh, especially with that four point uh, spread. That's a little bit weird. I just. I don't know if A&M's there yet, and I think Auburn has the bodies to maybe still push them around. I don't think that's going to last very long. I think by next year, A&M's going to come back and be able to have that same that same stature, but I think the the size advantage in Auburn um, could, be, could be an advantage in this game. Next game is Oklahoma State at number 12, Texas. The line is five and a half to Texas being the favorite, and this is a tricky one. Oklahoma State has an awesome running back in Chuba Howard, I believe. It's not Chuba, it's it's Chuba. Mm-hmm. And then they've got this wide receiver who's got like 130 yards a game or something. Uh, they're doing Mike Gundy things is what they're doing. And five and a half is a little bit of a weird line. I'm going to take Texas. I believe in Sam Ellinger. He has been lighting it up. He's got 11 touchdowns and no picks. Um, I'm going to take Texas. And that's all I know. I take I'm taking Texas as well, and we may both look stupid after this, but I I, I don't think Texas is BAK. You know, it's not that kind of situation. But they look like a really solid team, and I think that they have the talent to to pull this out. Next game, and this is the big one: Notre Dame at Georgia. Notre Dame's number seven, Georgia's number three, and Georgia. 
14-point favorites in this one. Now, you wouldn't have thought that after Notre Dame went to the playoff last year and coming into the season, this was going to be you know, a tight game. But Georgia's been flexing their muscles, and I think people are people got scared off that opening night when Louisville was hanging with Notre Dame. This is a lot of points, man. Uh, do you want me to go first? I'll go first. I'm taking Notre Dame. Uh, I, yes, I. Louisville has made a lot of improvement in that program, and the coaching change. Everybody said that there was still a lot of talent in that program, and not to talk about them, we will. But I guess I'll save my words for for the next call that we have. But that team is much improved from what it was. So for that to be an indictment on a Notre Dame team. They are going into a, an environment that is going to be difficult to play in, but I think it's going to get them riled up. They haven't much had much on the schedule thus far, if anything. So I think they lose this game, but I think they can keep it within 10. Yeah, I uh, I saw this somewhere else at 14 and a half, and I was like, oh, that's that's got Notre Dame written all over it. And at 14, I kind of feel like, I do kind of feel like that's going to be the margin, you know. Yeah. I, it, it Georgia is really freaking good. I picked them to win the national title. Like I, I really think they're excellent. And Notre Dame, I'm not sure if Ian Book saw the way back to where he was, but they, they did what they needed to do last week against what New Mexico or whatever. But they scored at will, and it, they, they look like themselves. I, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. <laughs> May end up regretting it, but I'm going to go with Notre Dame to cover the 14. That just seems like too many with these two top 10 teams, but we will find out. This will either like be a push at 14 or it's going to be like a 38-7 game. Like I, There's no in-between. If, if Georgia starts rolling, they're going to roll, and if Notre Dame has confidence, then it's, they can probably keep it within like 10 on that game. There's not going to be. I, don't, I really don't see it in-between. <laughs> yeah. All right, and the last game. Louisville at FSU, an ACC game. We got FSU, six-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to go with Louisville, and I guess if I'm going with Notre Dame and I'm going with Louisville, I I believe that that first game, you know, that Notre Dame's good and Louisville's also good. So uh, FSU, they impressed me against UVA. They covered the spread, which was annoying for both of us because we picked UVA to cover, and – That'll teach us to bet on UVA. We said until proven otherwise, and and we were proven otherwise. But Cam Akers is so freaking good, man. He he is single-handedly carrying FSU right now. Uh, so that scares me a bit, yeah. but I'm still going to go with Louisville. This has – I have Louisville, Louisville as well. Louisville, if I want to try and pronounce Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Norfolk. Um, so the, the – um, I did that. Just Appalachian. To, yeah, I had to throw it out there for everybody. <laughs> I I could I could see this. I'm the only thing I'm worried about is Taggart's job is on the line now. And like, does do they all rally? You know those games where like you rally and there's like that little spark. It's like there's like you know the dead person and then like there's like one heartbeat and it's like no nah, they're just they're dead. That was just like the last heartbeat. Um, the one of those games is kind of frightening me because. He is squarely on a hot seat. I mean, you have four-year-olds out there doing lemonade stands to try and you know get his buyout covered. It's it's I heard not about that. Yeah, that, that's atrocious in its own 
in its own right. Uh, but the case being that I, I'm worried about the bounce back, but I'm more confident um, in Louie pulling this out. So you're not sending your daughter out to start raising money for the Fuente buyout? <laughs> no, that, that, that is not a... Uh, that is not something that would That's ever happen. That's bad parenting right there by by that parent. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel bad because me and my wife, just my daughter is now talking and I teach her, you know, go Hokies. And when I'm not around, she teaches uh, go Buckeyes. And then we have arguments on Saturdays about what she's going to say during the games. Uh, I feel bad about that. Never mind setting up lemonade stands outside my house. Yeah, there's a bunch of other good games this weekend as well. Uh, just to to finish it out, we're not going to pick them, but Utah going to USC, that line's only three and a half. That thing stinks to high heaven, man. Like that, that that's a stinky, stinky line. Um, it's a stay away or bet USC, in my personal opinion. Uh, Appalachian State taking on North Carolina, kind of an in-state rivalry thing there. Uh, and then there was one other. Oh, Washington playing BYU. Does BYU play every program in the country this yes. year? Their schedule is. <laughs> I always talk about Notre Dame having a tough schedule. They always have Stanford, you know, they have Michigan. I mean, they have to play five ACC schools this year. Probably not that problematic for them, but you know, they have a tough schedule. BYU schedule every year is brutal. They yeah. go out and they just all over the country. Yeah. Different schemes, tough, different man. types of play. Not even like you're not even playing like the same types of schools. It's pretty incredible what they have to go through. You also have like the surprising win bowl going on between Kansas and West Virginia this weekend. That that's down in Lawrence. So I don't even know what you do with that game. Kansas is four and a half point underdogs. That seems like a money line bet to me. Um, I don't know. A lot of lot of interesting games. Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon, Stanford. It's gonna be a fun weekend. Yeah, I'm excited. Oregon's gonna wash them out. It's gonna be bad. Oregon's going to come with a vengeance. So uh, that's one. I Even at the farm, you think they're going to cover that spread? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, I, I, I like Oregon a lot this year. I So I'm, I'm probably with you on that one. But And we have our uh, our rivals, Virginia, 30-and-a-half-point favorites against ODU. Yeah, which most are you – know, <laughs> that, that game is uh, – is going to be interesting because everybody's going to use it as an indictment on Virginia Tech, no matter what, you know what happens there. So uh, I have a feeling that they'll blow out ODU, but Virginia's playing in case anybody hasn't noticed well this year. Yeah, I don't have any idea what's going to happen in that game. I, I would assume that it would be a big margin, but actually, I'm looking at it now. It's thirty. I don't know. That's 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 a stay away. That's a stay away. Yeah, well, twenty one <laughs> points is still a big win. That's what I meant. Is you know, I yeah, think that yeah, yeah, yeah. not that they would cover that much, but I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be tough for, for them. Well, that's gonna do it for the podcast. I uh I'm encouraged by some of the things I saw against Furman. I am. The defense they impressed me. Uh if not for the short fields, who knows how many points we give up in that game. maybe just the three. Um, the offense has a long way to go. We're playing with very young guys up front, particularly on the right side. I have a lot of hope that this team is going to be very good by the UVA game. Like by, you know, by game 12, I think this team could be pretty darn good. Uh, it's that we got Duke and Miami next. That is very scary. And 
Notre Dame coming up, you know, later on. It's uh, trying to find the wins, the shore wins, or the ones you at least feel 52% confident in the win about. Um, they're hard to find right now, man. They're they're very hard to find. And, and I put out on Twitter earlier that denial of Brock Hoffman's clearance – I really think that could cost us the bowl streak this year. It, 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 that up front and blocking for the run game is, and, and, he, and for Willis as well, is what we need, and that's where it hurt us. So um, no matter whose fault it was or wasn't, uh, that, that sucks is what it does. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think you, yeah, I think you bring up a, a lot of great points in terms of finding wins because I look now at the schedule in a little bit different light than I did before, even though you can't find anybody talking about more about the ACC and, you know, how much is in the dumps, which is, you know, not fun. Every podcast this week just crapped. Yeah, I deleted more podcasts after the first five minutes than I have since I started uh, listening to to podcasts. It It was pretty brutal, but I think you bring up, you know, good points in terms of finding the wins and the advancement in the program. Hoffman is absolutely looking now like it was a a bigger issue than it it probably would have been, but listen, it this is going to be a week to week type team. And if you're looking for big jumps, I don't think we're going to see them. I think you got to look for the small things um, mm-hmm. in the team and, and look for advancement that way. And that's sad to say, and it's not fun to say. And and quite frankly, we're fans too, right? Like I want to watch like a huge advancement in the program. And I, I don't know that I see that it's going to happen, but I do see incremental improvement in what the team's doing. Yeah. And that you, you said something there too. It's we can win a lot of the games can win. You know, we we can beat Duke, we can beat UNC, Pitt, Wake. Those are winnable games. Um, I'm not sure I'm classifying Miami as winnable right now because because of their fierce defense and it being on the road. But most of the other ACC games are technically winnable. But we have to start playing a lot better very, very, very soon, as in next Friday night. Because if you lose to Duke, and we'll we'll preview the game next week, but if you lose that game, you are now you're put in the class that you're going to finish in the bottom of the ACC. That that's what the narrative and the perception and probably the reality will be. So <laughs> Friday for the 27th, that's a big night. That's a big night for Virginia Tech. And they've played well against Duke under Fuente. I believe they're 3-0. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how we come out that night for sure. All right, that'll do it. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, it's at 2DVT. The website is 2DVT.com. And on Instagram, it's also at 2DVT. We we are trying to post some more pictures up there as the season goes along. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And you can email us at 2DVT at gmail.com. We got some some nice emails from people this week, and, and we definitely appreciate it. We are also going to try to send out some koozies in the next week 10 days, two weeks, we'll get them out. I'm I'm taking the, the reins on that one. Me and Robbie kind of flip-flop back and forth on who's mailing out the koozies, but we've gotten a bunch of requests, so we're going to mail out a you know a handful. They're free, and, they're free um, koozies, and we pay shipping, so uh, yeah, we're, we're going to send them out when we can send them out. So we try to do them yeah. as fast as possible. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. 
So until next time, when we're previewing Duke and recapping some of the uh, the games we just picked, go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>